Well, I'm excited about tonight when I realized a few days ago that I was doing tonight. I don't look at the schedule too often, can you tell? Um, no, I knew Keith was being gone, but it just didn't register on me that I was doing tonight. And um, I got excited because I had something on my heart. And so um, I'm excited about it because I think it's the answer to some things for the church here. And we're going to continue on. We've been talking about the works and ways of Jesus. So we're going to continue kind of on the works and ways of Jesus. And uh, I think... What the Lord's got me to share tonight will help all of us because um, we've all, I think, done some of this stuff. And um, I am so guilty of it. Uh, you know, I almost had to repent before I got up here to do the sermon. So y'all don't tell nobody that. Don't tell Keith I said that. So we had a friend one time, and it's a funny story. Um, he went to the Bible school that Keith taught at, and he called us one night. It was probably 3 in the morning. How he got our phone number, we still don't know. But he called us, and it was 3 in the morning, but we were still up because we were very late-night people. So uh, we were up, and uh, he said, Brother Keith. And he said, and he called him by his name. He said, yeah. He said, what are y'all doing? He said, well, we've gone out to Carolina somewhere, and we're writing a book. He said, you want to know what about? He said, Keith said, well, yeah. He said, um, how to go start something and miss God and cry, <laughs> you know. He said uh, he was writing a book on how you miss God and um, what happens when you do. And um, he's a real funny character. And um, he told the story one time about, he said, he, to finish that story, he told about, he says, yeah, he said, I cry, my wife cries, my kids cry, that's all we do is cry. He said, uh, we've missed it so bad, can we come home? You know, and of course you can come home. It's like the prodigal son. Sure, you can come home. But, you know, all of us has missed it. You know, if, if you say you hadn't, well, we better spread this altar area out here. So, uh, but anyway, he told a story one time. Now, this is his story. I didn't tell this story. This is his story. Okay. He told a story of he was a pastor and uh, he went to church one Sunday morning and he had just barely quit smoking. I mean, like one day. And uh, he got up in front of the church. And he said, this is how he started his sermon that morning. He said, if I had my pistol with me this morning, you know what I'd do? And you know the congregation thought, what is going on? He said, I'd go, pow, thank you, Jesus. And then he said, I'd go, pow, thank you, Jesus. He said, I'd start out with the deacons and I'd go, pow, thank you, Jesus. And we said, what did your people say? He said, they said, pray for pastor. He's going through a hard time. I thought, yeah, he is going through a hard time. So, but this is the same guy that did that. Anyway, he gets up in front of his church and he'd probably quit smoking for about a day. And, um, he got up there and just railed them about smoking. And he'd been quit for a whole day, you know. And, um, he told them, you got the blind leading the blind and y'all gonna go in the ditch. You got this one smoking and that one smoking and y'all gonna go in the ditch. He said, um, and he just railed them up and down and just went round and round with them and said, and if you don't like what I'm saying, meet me out in the parking lot and we'll fight about it after church. And he literally did. They had to go out there and pull him apart. Well, <laughs> it's a true story, you guys. Believe me, they just go on and get worse from there. So, but um, precious people and love the Lord, but have grown a lot since then, you know. Do, you know, when you're babies, you think, you get saved yesterday, and everybody should be on the bandwagon with you. I'm telling you. Everybody should straighten up and fly right, and you can immediately see all the wrong that they're doing and forget you were just doing it yesterday. You know, it's real easy to do, you know. I think we've all done it. Expect people to be where you have grown to. Have you ever been away from home? You've been saved and filled with the Spirit, and you hadn't been around, say, some of your kin folks for a while, and you go back in to another state or something like that, and you get around them and you think, my goodness, they've changed. My word, how have, they have changed so much. I just can't believe that they're that way. They're so negative and so sad and so depressed and... You know, but what you don't realize is you used to be just exactly the same way. But, you know, you got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and did what the song said. The Lord picked you up and turned you around and set you on the right course. And so you recognize those things where you didn't recognize them before. And it's not them that changed. It's you that changed. You begin to get revelation and you begin to get ideas and stuff. So what I want us to do tonight is kind of talk about that. The title of my message is Good News and Not Condemnation. So we're going to talk about what Jesus did and how he did it. So turn with me to Matthew 4, verse 23. Now, we've been reading through. How many still reading your Bible every day? 
Let's see your hand. Oh, glory to God. You know, I think that's the thing that I love the most about reading the Bible because we have people come up to us and I don't read a quarter of the testimonies because people don't take the time to write them out. I don't know why because I guess they don't want them read or something. I don't know. But anyhow, to see the changes in people's lives that's been occurring, not just so much because of maybe the services or anything, but just that daily Bible reading. You don't even realize what's getting into you and how it's turning you and changing you. And, you know, just people saying, my marriage is better. My this is better. My kids are better. My life is better. My finances are better, you know. And I think it's just because we've been doing this reading of this Bible every day, you know, on a regular and consistent basis and not forgetting a day to do it. So let's read this. And um, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Now, what I want you to take note of there is that word gospel. Preaching the gospel. I looked up that word gospel years ago, and a lot of people have and stuff. And what gospel really means in the vines, it says, Good news, good tidings, good message, or message of evangelism. Do you get the picture already? Okay, let me read you Matthew 4.23 out of the NIV. It says, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Is it good news if you're sick? Not good news. Turn to Isaiah 61. And I'm going to read it to you out of the NIV, so... Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide For all those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Now, do you get the picture there? What so many people don't get is that the good news is doing these things here. You've got it in your Bible there. He sent them to bind up the brokenhearted. That's good news if you're brokenhearted, that your heart can be mended. To proclaim freedom to the captive. What if you've been bound up like the woman with the issue of blood for so many years? What if you've been bent over and couldn't straighten up? What if you had a withered hand and couldn't stretch it out? Would it be good news to you, freedom, if you've been captive with those things? To release from darkness all the prisoners... What if you've been in prison, in a dungeon someplace, and you get released? Is that good news? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, that God is your vengeance, that you don't have to defend yourself from all the crazy people in the world, that He'll defend you. He's your vengeance. To comfort everybody that mourns. Now, He was sent to do this. Okay, so if you're mourning, He was sent to comfort you. Okay, to provide for those who grieve in Zion. He's going to provide for you to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of gladness for mourning. So if you've been mourning, you can get glad and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Now, have you ever had a spirit of despair? And did somebody come along and tell you something that was going to help you? That's good news. That's really good news if they do. Well, what is good news to the poor? You wretched poor thing, how ashamed you ought to be because you don't have any money. How come you're not giving your tithes? How come you're not giving in the offerings? Maybe they can't afford to. Is it good news to them to hear that they can't pay their bills? That God's not going to provide for them? Is it good news for people to come up to them and say, you know, the creditors are calling them and they're giving them the wherewithals and uh, telling them that they're going to come repossess their cars? Is that good news? No. Repossess their houses? Is that good news? Or if you're sick and you've just been given a report that you're going to die with cancer, is that good news? 
None of these things are good news. So what is the good news? That Jesus came to deliver us from these things. The good news is that by His stripes we were healed. The good news is that He'll supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory. The good news is that you don't, for the sick people, you don't gotta be sick no more. For the broke people, you don't gotta be broke no more. Now that's good news. Don't you think? I think it's good news. Now, what happens when you teach good news? Now, if you go into somebody and they're hurting and they're in the hospital room and they're sick and you don't know the word well enough to help them in any way. And you just go like some people have said this minister friend that we know he was dying and this minister came into him and he said, well, brother, it won't be long now. Just make your plans and everything will be all right. You know, well, now that was that good news to him. Was that good news? He said in his heart, he's screaming out. He couldn't talk. He was paralyzed. But he said in his heart, he was screaming out, I'm not dead yet. Hallelujah. You know what? But this man didn't come and give him good news. He said, come and prepare for your funeral. Do you know there's a lot of people in the world that are doing those kind of things today? There's a lot of people that are going into hospital rooms and don't have any good news to give to anybody. They're going in there with them and um, they're laying their hands on them or, or hugging their necks and crying with them. But they don't have any more good news because they don't know the good news theirself. There is good news that he died for us to do these things for us. What happens when we give people good news? Turn to Matthew 11. Matthew 11, 4. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you see and hear. That the blind receive their sight, that the lame walk, that those who have leprosy are cured, that the deaf hear, that the dead are raised. Good news is preached to the poor. Now, so this is good news. They're going out and preaching the good news, and these are the results of it. People are being set free. Blind people are receiving their sight. Lame people are walking. People with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. Now, if you're in these conditions or you know someone in these conditions, what should we do? Tell them the good news. Have good news to tell them. How do you see, say, Faith Life Church being filled up? That's what I got excited about today. I was studying this stuff. And you know, there's people out there that are hurting and dying everywhere around this area, around this state, around these. I mean, you don't ever have to get. I don't like these people that come in and try to get everybody else's church members to build their church. I don't like that because there's too many people out there on the streets and in the highways and byways that that are not even, I mean, living for God. They don't know anything. They're hurting. They're dying. They're sick. And they don't know the good news. So how do we get Faith Life Church full? By telling them the good news. By telling them if you're sick, you can be healed. It didn't say, okay, you're smoking, you can't be healed because you're smoking. I've seen it happen. It didn't say you couldn't be filled with the Spirit because you're smoking. I've seen it happen. I've seen this lady. Y'all will get a kick out of this. This lady, now I'm not condoning smoking, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's right, but I think if people get far enough in the Lord, the Lord will deal with them about it. We don't have to do it. Okay, that's between them and the Lord. He'll deal with them about it. That's They have to answer to Him. I have to answer to Him for what I'm doing. Okay? And I tell you what, if I talk about somebody, I think the Lord will look down upon me a little bit worse even than some of this other stuff that people look down on other people for so much. And I know some people disagree. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. But what matters is people's hearts. If you get their hearts turned around and you get their hearts on fire for God, this other stuff won't matter to them. And they'll be ready to throw it away. They won't even have to wonder what happened to it. It'll just disappear in their lives. They won't even have to wonder how they quit taking meth and quit having adulterous affairs and, you know, quit doing all the things that they're doing. The main thing that matters is where they are. And if they're laying there in a hospital bed, like I was about to tell you this funny story, this lady says, I want to be filled with the Spirit. And we said, are you sure? You know, I didn't even know how much they knew. And uh, they said, yes, yes, I do. I do. We know we do. And so uh, we prayed with them and uh, just busted our theology right out of the water. Well, we prayed with her. Immediately, she started speaking in tongues. Immediately. Then she got up off the floor and grabbed her purse and stuck a cigarette in her mouth and said, Man, that was neat. 
Now, God filled her. I didn't fill her. Do you understand that? I can't fill somebody with the Holy Ghost. But God can. And he must have not have thought that it was that big of a deal that she lit up that cigarette afterwards because he knew the end from the beginning. He knew what was going to happen as soon as she did that. But I tell you what, it wasn't a year or two later. They just totally quit smoking. You nobody ever said a word to them about it. They just totally quit doing it. You don't have to condemn people to get them to do things. It's not condemnation that's going to bring people out. It's the good news that's going to bring people out. It's telling them that God loves them. It's telling them that if you're sick and you've got cancer, it don't matter what you, how many cigarettes you smoke that you've got cancer, God still will forgive you and He'll still heal you and He'll still turn you around and set you on the right path. That's what will bring people to church. Not go in there and say, if you give them cigarettes up, then you'll be healed. Another funny story. Keith, you know, they told Keith when he was growing up, if he'd shave off his beard and mustache, he'd get the Holy Ghost. Now, he won't like me telling y'all that, but it's a fact. They told him the thing that's hindering you from receiving the Holy Ghost is you've got that beard and mustache on your face. Buddy, shave that thing off and you will receive. Well, he shaved it off and guess what? Nothing. I got the Holy Ghost before he did. And I was wearing pants and everything. Well, it's true. I mean, people look so much at people's outsides and they're not looking at what God's looking at. We want to do what God did. You know, he didn't tell these people, you know, all these things that you see when this woman had the issue of blood. Do you think he knew everything that was going on in her life? A hundred percent of everything that was going on in her life when she came and touched his garment? And I guarantee you she wasn't perfect. Who is? If we got to get perfect before we're able to receive anything from the Lord, we got a long ways to go. Because I doubt to say that there'd be any one of us in here that hadn't missed it bunches of times. So anyway, over and over again in the Gospels, it says that they preached the good news. Not only did Jesus do it, but the apostles did it. So we want, I'm wanting us to look at the works and ways of Jesus, like what Keith has been doing. What did the apostles do? Turn to Acts 5.41. It says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering for his name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They never stop proclaiming the good news. No matter what these people did to them, they still kept saying the good news. Didn't matter. Okay, what did John do? Turn to Luke. Now, we've got some good examples to follow here. I mean, if we can't follow Jesus, the apostles, John, let's look what John did in Luke 3.18. And Luke's saying, and with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. So John's preaching good news to them. He's not preaching condemnation to them. He's doing what? He's preaching good news to them. All right. Let's look what Philip did in Acts 8. I want you all to see this and I want you to turn to them because it's important that you see what the apostles did. Because if we see what the apostles did, then it will encourage us to do as they did. Because we're supposed to be learning in our Bible readings about the works and ways of Jesus and doing things the way that he did them for the reasons that he did them. So look at Acts 8 and verse 12. And when they believed Philip as he preached what? The good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. What happened to them? They were baptized, both men and women, because he condemned them and they didn't want to run home and hide. No, because he preached the good news, they were baptized. Simon himself, believing, was baptized and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Now, what was causing these signs and miracles? The preaching of the good news, not the preaching of condemnation and not the preaching of you did the wrong thing or you're not living right or not the preaching of uh, doing bad things will do anything for you. It's the preaching of the good news that Jesus heals, he saves, he delivers, he sets you free. You don't have to be sick anymore. You don't have to be poor anymore. You don't have to be broke anymore. That's what they were preaching. Okay, let's look and see what Paul and Barnabas did. You need some more? All right. Acts 14. 
I kind of like this one. Acts 14, verse 19. I'm reading out of the NIV in case y'all are wondering. So, because it already translated to say good news. Good news means again, good tidings. I mean, gospel means again, good tidings. Uh, good, let's see, let me get it right. Good message equivalent to evangelism. Now, do you understand that? What that's meaning? Equivalent to evangelism. You give people the good news, you are evangelizing them, and what will happen to them? What just happened? They were baptized, both men and women, because they were getting the good news. That is evangelism, giving people the good news. Okay, then let's read Acts 19. Some of the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they won over the crowd. But they stoned Paul, and they dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And the next day, and Barnabas and left for Derby. He and Barnabas left for Derby. Then verse 21, they just stoned him. Okay? You might not want to preach them good news. Do you understand what I'm saying? You might get a little flesh in the way and not want to tell them any more good news for a little while. If they just stoned you almost to the point that they thought you were dead. They left you for dead. They thought you were dead. But what did he do? Look at verse 21. They preached the good news in that city and they won a large number of disciples. Now, how did they win a large number of disciples? Now, who are preachers? Everybody. Everybody's a preacher. If your neighbor's sick and they need healing and you can tell them, hey, look. God will heal you. It don't matter what you've done. You'll preach the gospel to them. God will save you. It don't matter how many drugs you've done. It don't matter if you're still doing drugs. God will save you and clean you up. Is it Keith said this one time, and I thought it was really, really funny. He told me not to quote him tonight. I said, good luck thinking that. <laughs> he said, wouldn't it just be great if when you went fishing, immediately that the fish were already cleaned and in the frying pan? Wouldn't that just be great if you, uh, especially around here, all the fishing that there is around here. If you went out fishing and the fish just jumped out of the lake, cleaned themselves and went right in the frying pan for you. That'd be great, wouldn't it? It'd be great for ministers too. If people off the street that's been using drugs would just clean themselves up and be the best people in the church. It don't happen that way. It don't happen that way. I mean, yes, God will clean you up and turn you around, but it don't, I mean, you get saved and then you get turned around. You don't get turned around and then get saved most of the time. Because people try to do it by themselves all the time. And that's why all these people that are all drug addicts and are um, addicted to pornography and addicted to all these things, because they're trying to stop doing it by themselves. Have you ever been addicted to anything? A Coke. I was. Say Cokes. I was addicted to them for like, oh, from the time I was 14, I started working at a bakery and it was hot in there. And it was so hot in there, you could, they didn't have any air conditioning and it was in the south in Mississippi, so you can imagine how hot it was in there. And um, so, and they didn't have water just out of the faucet. All they had was a Coke machine. So I got just addicted to drinking Cokes. I would just drink one after the other. And I got to a point where I was drinking like 25 a day. I mean, I was drinking Cokes. From the time I woke up till the time I went to bed at night. I wouldn't eat, but I'd drink Cokes. And um, the Lord t- dealt with me one day, Phyllis. I, I started having these severe migraines. And the Lord started dealing with me. Phyllis, quit drinking those Cokes. Well, I went cold turkey. I quit drinking them for a year. I had headaches that would not wait. I mean, they would not wait. Now, that's just an addiction to Cokes. I was ready to get up in the middle of the night and find the quickest convenience store that I could find and get me a Coke. I'm telling you, I sympathize with anybody that has stronger addictions because I couldn't handle it with Cokes. You understand what I'm saying? For somebody to look down upon somebody else that has an addiction for something, they're judging when they're doing the same thing in a different area. You know, it's not a good thing because you judge and what happens? You'll get judged. But these people that are so addicted, I mean, their bodies are screaming out, give me just one more little bit, give me just one more little bit, give me just, i got to have one more little bit, i got to have it, i got to have it. The porn or the drugs or the whatever it is. 
I mean, we've dealt with them. And it's just sad. But I've also seen people come to this altar so drunk they could hardly stand up, so full of drugs they hardly knew their name. Not this altar, but other altars. So high on stuff, they didn't know what state they were in. In a lifestyle that wasn't pleasing to God. And within a week, be totally turned around, totally off of everything that they'd ever done. And could not figure out for the life of them that they'd tried to quit for 20 years. And how it could just instantly break off of them. Keith dealt with this medical doctor one time. And uh, he said um, he'd gotten addicted to... um, the way his schedule was, you know, when they do this, they have to work all night. And he got addicted to whatever. I don't know enough about drugs to tell you. Something that kept him up all the time. And he couldn't ever go to sleep anymore. So then he started taking something to make him go to sleep. And, and he got addicted to drugs. And he was just the doctor himself. Because he was working in a hospital. He was an emergency room doctor. And he was just working constantly. And he got addicted to these drugs. And uh, you don't condemn people like that. You thank God for the mercy that you're not put in a position that something like that could happen to you. Because, I mean, except for his grace and mercy, we could be in a mess tonight, you know. And um, he came to a service that Keith was having. And um, he actually came because he had a broke foot. And um, he was wanting Keith to pray with him about his foot. Because he had broken it so bad that he was a surgeon is what he was. And uh, he um, had broken his foot so bad that he knew he didn't even have it in a cast. He had it in one of those temporary things because he knew he was going to have to go into surgery the next week and have it the bones all mended with rods and all this stuff. He'd broken it so bad. So he'd come to see Keith about praying for him. And so um, Keith prayed for him, and he didn't know about the drug addiction thing. And right in the middle of it, I mean, he's praying for the guy's foot. And right in the middle of it, the guy says, You know what, Brother Keith, I have this drug addiction too. I really would like freedom from that. And I mean, instantly, the guy jumped up on the foot that was bad, took his cast off, and he just made a hopping step. On took. Keith said he was either healed or he was going to pass out one when he saw him do it, you know, and uh, totally healed. He said, but he came back to Keith. He said, but that's not the greatest miracle. The next day he came in. He had a shoe on that foot. But he said, that's not the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is that when you prayed for me to be delivered from these drugs, that there was this band around my head. And I had been in this deep fog for the longest time. And I couldn't even think straight. And I couldn't see straight. He said, if people would have known how I was when I was operating on them, he said, I was just so messed up. He said, instantly, it was like a band that broke from around my head. Instantly, it broke from around his head. Well, what power is that? That's no human's power that's able to do that. I don't care how much counseling a person gets. I don't care how much this that they get. It's only the power of God that can instantly break things off of people's lives like that. Thank God for things like AA and drug abuse centers and things like that. We pray for them constantly because, I mean, dear God, give them wisdom. These people are looking for help. You know, they're looking for a place to seek and help. You know, they're crying out for help. But we know what the help is. It's the good news that God will set you free. He will deliver you. He will set you free from that stuff. You don't have to be bound to that stuff, whether it's pornography or whether it's drugs or whether it's women or whether it's cigarettes or whatever you want to be free from. Coca-Cola's. Coffee. Whatever you want to be free from. You don't have to be bound to anything. You shouldn't let anything dominate your life that way. What, No matter what it is. You know, you shouldn't have to have anything all the time. You know? so But there is a way to get free from it. So where did we get to? We talked about Paul being stoned. And I got off on a side journey there. Okay? And then some others did it. And I'll just read this one. You don't have to turn to it. It's Acts 19. It says, those who'd been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch. I'm reading in Acts 11:19, spoke to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you want to know what happened when they told them the good news? It's right there in your Bible. Verse 21. The Lord's hand was on them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. That's what happens when people tell the good news. So that's what Jesus did. That's what all the disciples did. That's what the apostles did. That's what others did. So what are we to do? Turn to Mark 16. Told y'all this was good. Y'all didn't believe me when I told y'all, but it was. 
God wouldn't have me get up here and take y'all's time and not give us something good, I'm telling you. He ain't that way. Mark 16, verse 15. What are we supposed to do? Exactly. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the what? Good news to every creature. He's telling us to do this. Go into all the world and preach the good news to every creature. So you tell the people the good news. You tell them God saves, he heals, he forgives. But what if they don't believe you? He that believes is baptized and saves, but he that does not believe is what? If they don't believe the good news, then you will have to tell them the bad news. But that's only after you tell them the good news. I mean, some people, it takes years and years and years. You keep telling them the good news and you keep telling them the good news. And you know the best way to tell people the good news? Is live it. Let them see you healed. Let them see your kids healed. Let them see your kids never miss a day of school because they're never sick. They never get the flu bug that everybody else's kids get. That's preaching the good news. Because they're going to want to know how these kids kept from missing school every day. When everybody else missed for a whole week because they were out with the Asian flu or the swine flu or the Hong Kong flu or this kind of flu or the that kind of flu. But your kids didn't. They were strong and they were healed and they're making good grades. And how do they make straight A's and keep up all their sports? Because God anoints them to do what they need to do. That's good news. How do you preach the good news? Look at Mark 16. And he told them, everyone, you're right there at it. And uh, verse 15 in the Living Bible says that. He told them, go into all the world, preach the good news to everyone, everywhere. Those who believe and are baptized will be saved, but those who refuse to believe will be condemned. That's when the condemnation comes in. You don't have to worry about condemning people here in this earth. What's going to happen to them if they don't believe? They're already condemned. They're already living in condemnation. They're already living in it. But what do most people do? Most people help them with that condemnation. They see them on drugs and they shy away from them. Look at that man. What is he doing with his life? Look at that sorry man. How he beat his wife. He is. But is he, can he help it because of the drugs he's on? It's not okay for him to be on drugs. But is it okay just to shy away from him and not try to help him? Why are we here in the earth? To preach the good news to everybody. It didn't say every person that you liked the way that they looked and they had some money and that they dressed nice and you thought you might get something from them. It said everybody, everywhere. And that's the people that's sitting on the side of the road that don't have the money that when we walk by, that's what I told y'all I had to repent before I got here. So y'all don't look at me like that. I mean, I've done it. You've seen the people. We travel all the time. You've seen the people on the sides of the road holding up the sign. We'll work for food or or veteran, you know, give me some money or these kind of things. I think, you know, there's desk jobs that you can sit behind. Maybe you are missing a leg. I'm that way. You know, I'm thinking these things. So I had to repent. Okay. But they, they need God is what they need. They need God. But it's not because we're going to just preach God to them. We're going to tell them the good news. We're not going to condemn them. We're going to tell them, you know what, I'll feed you. Come on in here. That's good news to them if they're hungry. Come over here and cut my grass and I'll feed you. Keith was in um, Peru one time. And the pastor there, when he goes on overseas trips, he always wants to go first to see how the conditions are. And then he says, you can go next time. (laughs) He's so sweet. And uh, he said he went down there and there was these guys that... um, Everywhere you go, they were just running up to you asking you for money. You know, the little kids will just run up to you and ask you for something. They just are just beggars, just beggars. Just the whole mentality of the city there was that way. And he said, just beggars. And um, the pastor said, um, he said, what I've done with these people that are begging is I go out and I buy them a bucket and a squeegee. And I tell them, go to work. So everybody that comes up to his car, when it stops at a red light, he said, I bet you between the hotel and the church, there must have been 30 people that cleaned his windshield. He said it was sparkling time we got there. But you know what? The pastor was encouraging them not to be beggars. 
not to be beggars. He was giving them something to look forward to. And there's not a person in this world that cannot use encouragement. No matter how high they are on the totem pole, no matter what their life slot is, I mean, if they're the greatest, wealthiest person in the whole wide world, they still need Jesus. If they're the lowest person on the totem pole and their clothes smell and they hadn't taken a bath in six months, they still need Jesus. They need the good news. We don't try to pull away from them or don't want them to touch us. Or, I mean, we've prayed for people that's got dripping sores all over their body. We, people told us, don't touch them. You'll get what they've got. Don't you know that's contagious? Well, when germs hit us, they have to die. They can't stay on our bodies. And how can you preach the good news to people? And how can you minister to people with being afraid constantly that that bad thing is going to get on you? Doesn't work that way. You can't be afraid of anything because you've got the greater one living inside of you. And it doesn't matter what their lifestyle is. It doesn't matter what their habits are. You can minister to them in some way. You can tell them some good news. You can tell them Jesus died for them. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how bad you've messed up. Doesn't matter how many women you've had. Doesn't matter how many times you've been on that website. Doesn't matter how many times you've drank till you couldn't stand up and, and they had to carry you home. Doesn't matter how many times you've made a fool out of yourself. Jesus still loves you. He died for you. Let's read what he said about it. It said, John 3.17. Turn there. Now, if God did this with his only begotten son, what did he mean for us to do? Read verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but to do what? But that the world through him might be saved. And if anybody had rights to condemn someone, who would it be? The spotless lamb. The one that never sinned. The one that never made a mistake. So don't we get cocky and on our high horses when we see somebody doing something that don't set well with us because we've been saved for so long and that's our self-righteousness rears up and we think, you know, who are they to be doing something like that? Don't they know better than that? And we judge them in our minds immediately. It's like they should know better than that already. Well, you don't know. They may be 70 years old and just got born again yesterday. And like this guy that was trying to do that, griping and grumbling about those people in that church smoking. He just quit the day before. You know, you might want to give yourself a few more days before you start criticizing people. I mean, because I've known people that's quit smoking for a day, and I tell you what, the next day they was back on it again. I mean, I've known lots of alcoholics that's quit drinking for a week and been right back on the bottle again after a week. You know, so to just be ready to just condemn somebody and say, you know, what you would and wouldn't do. If anybody had a right to do that, it would be Jesus. And he didn't do it. He came to save the world, not to condemn the world. First John 1, 9. Well, first John 3. This is where the people fall short right here. And this is why we have to help them. 1 John 3, for if our heart condemns us, verse 20, he's greater than our heart. Beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence toward God. Why do sinners not want to come to church? Because they know they're sinners. They're condemned that somebody might look down on them because they're a sinner. And that's who needs to be in church. We're supposed to be getting those people in church and getting them saved and turned around to go out and minister to other people. But if we, people know how people are. Uh, when you come to church, you got on your spiritual clothes. But how you really are is Tuesday morning when that person bumps into you in the Walmart store and takes your place in line and you just want to rail them because you're in a hurry. Are you ready to preach them the good news? Or are you ready to condemn them? Don't you have any sense? I was in line first. I've been standing here for a while. That's not going to preach the good news to them. It's not going to help them in any way. Because the reason that they're impatient and the reason that they're carnal is because they don't know Jesus. If you're not spiritual, then what are you? Carnal. 
criminal. Doesn't take a lot of brains to figure it out why people in the world do some of the things that they do. It's because they're carnal and we're supposed to be spiritual. But you know what? We've been in airports sometime with people that supposedly are spiritual. They got a title anyway. And uh, they go up to the ticket counters and the poor girls there are frazzled beyond their words. I mean, they've had four flights canceled. They've had, you know, people bumped from seats and they've had this happen. And they, I remember one night we, went, we were flying to uh, London and uh, we went to the airport and we got there. It was before the 9-11, thank God, because we'd had to get there two days early in order to fly out. But now we went to the airport and we got there in plenty of time. They loaded all of our stuff and we were there and sat at the gate you run, 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 you sit at the gate, the plane's late, it's delayed. We wait an hour. Then we wait another hour. Then we wait another hour. Then we wait another hour. And I think we waited about eight hours. And they finally announced, well, the plane's finally here, and we're going to take off in an hour. Okay? So they get everybody's bags loaded on the plane. As soon as we get the bags loaded up, the airplane cleaned up, we're going to get you on it, you're going to be able to go. So we get up there, and we get ready to get on the plane, everybody's lined up. And there's a mechanical problem. So we don't get to go on this plane. So we all go take our seats again. Now this is a big crowd of people because it's one of those great big airplanes that's going overseas. Big crowd of people. So we all go take our seats again. And uh, we sit down. We wait an hour. We wait another hour in that airport. They keep saying it'll be another hour. They keep postponing it one hour. In other words, they don't want you to leave that area. They want you on standby to where if they get another airplane, you're sitting there ready, waiting for them. Well, do you know how hot people can get waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting with their kids screaming and sleepy and it's 3 o'clock in the morning and they're still screaming and it's still getting worse and worse and there's no plane? Well, finally, at 4.30 that morning, they got us on a plane. We got on the plane. We got out over the water, up over New York, and we turned around and we came back. And we landed right back there at the airport again. And those poor people at that terminal, I mean, were having to work all night, having to deal with these people. These people were screaming at them from a clear across the room. This is ridiculous. This is the most terrible thing I've ever seen in my life. I paid good money for this ticket. I paid for first class. And I'm getting treated like I'm a kid or, you know, just all kind of things, you know. Just getting irate with these people. And... um you walk, you want to go up to them and say, you know, I don't know if you realize it or not, but that very person that you just chewed out is the one that's going to be able to help you in a few minutes. Because we've had it happen over and over again. So the next morning we get there, and all these people had chewed, and it turns out, it's the, I don't know how this happened, but it turns out that they've got the same ticket personnel worked in the next morning. These people had been just like us. They had been, it's because they, I think they knew what was going on with it. They wanted them working this flight again or something. I don't know. So they gave us all these hotel vouchers. No way to get to the hotel. You had to carry all your luggage, overseas luggage, for two miles to the hotel. It was a rough night. But anyhow, we didn't lose our joy. Thank you, Lord. Because we're saved. Now there's a difference, y'all, between carnal and spiritual. We're saved. Well, these people the next morning happened to be the same ticket personnel and that these people had chewed out all night long. I mean all night long. So we walk up to the ticket counter there and just hand them our tickets. Say, sorry, it's been such a rough night for you guys. I know this was rough on y'all having to deal with all this. They take our tickets. We're in business class. They bump us up to first class. They give us caviar. They give us all these things. I mean, I don't eat caviar, but they give it to you anyway, you know. And um, all these things... And did our whole trip that way. Did our round trip, turned us around, flew us back first class. Now, what did they do all night? Do you think they just sat there and watched us? I don't know what they did. But I know they knew who not to give them to by the next morning. All those people that had been sitting in there screaming and yelling and fussing and hollering and griping and complaining. Now, which do you think would get those people saved more? The person that stood there, and I don't know, they could have been saved too. We just learned this the hard way, y'all. We've been traveling for many, many years, and we learned that you don't just chew out the people that's going to help you. I mean, you pray for favor and ask the Lord to help you. And Keith has a saying, faith puts no pressure on people. So uh, we didn't put any pressure on those people. They couldn't control those airplanes. They were just little ladies standing at the ticket counter like they were going to go out there and fix the mechanical problem on that airplane. Would you have wanted them to? 
I mean, that's the way these people were talking to him. It was like they were going to go out there and, what are you, why don't you do something? Why don't you make this right, you know? What are they going to do? They've got a 100,000 people probably above them on the totem pole, and they're just like you doing their job, you know? So uh, what's going to minister to these people more? If you ever see them again, what will minister to them more? You're screaming and yelling and expecting things of them, condemning them, putting them down, or giving them good news? Peace. God's a God of peace. He'll give you peace in the midst of the storm. You know, you minister peace to them, and there will be peace for them to be had. If you don't minister peace, then there won't be peace. So I want to tell you one more story, and then I think you've got the idea of it for tonight. Turn with me to John 8, verse 1. Now, this is Jesus again, and we're supposed to be learning what Jesus would do in certain situations, right? Jesus went, verse 1, John 8. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and they sat down, and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees, now who did it? The religious people, the people that were spiritual, supposedly. The religious folks. Okay, The scribes and the Pharisees brought into him a woman who was taken in adultery. And when they'd set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. So what does that mean? Number one, they were looking out for her. But number two, she probably wasn't very nicely dressed at that point in time. She probably had pulled on a sheet around her or something. If they caught her in the very act, where was her partner? I mean, she's committing adultery all by herself. How do you do that? Somebody might need to enlighten me. I don't think you can. Now, Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Okay, they're looking for Jesus to give them a way to condemn her. This would be a good opportunity to condemn her. Be a good opportunity to put her down and say, woman, how could you do such a thing? You adulterous old thing. How could you do that? But what did Jesus do? They said tempting him that he might have accusation. They might have an accusation to accuse him. Uh, But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he had heard them not. And when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and he said to them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And he stooped down again, and he wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convinced by their own conscience, went out one by one, being at the eldest, the smartest, the wisest, the eldest, even unto the last. Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, that could have been handled a lot of different ways. A lot of people in today's society would have condemned her. They would have said, you sorry rascal. I caught you with them. How can you do that? You call yourself a Christian? How can you do something like that? Well, is that going to encourage them to never do it again? It won't. They're already condemned. If you're already condemned, you're already condemned. I mean, you're living in condemnation. You have no faith towards God. You have condemnation. But what did Jesus do? He said, Where are your accusers? Has no man condemned thee? Neither do I. What's the next part? Go and sin no more. Now, what do you think would encourage her more not to go and sin no more? Her being accused and condemned and put down and being stoned to death or being stoned and everything else? No, go and sin no more. The words of Jesus, go and sin no more. So when you see people around you that are missing it and you see people that aren't living right, it's not right. You don't have to give people a license to sin. They're going to sin whether you give them a license or not. You know, I mean, it's people are... Lack of a better word, they're fleshy, they're carnal. And the more fleshy and carnal people are, the more sinners they are. You know, and the more spiritual they are, the less sinners they are. And and sometimes the more 
Spiritual people think that they are, the more sinners they are. We're like the scribes and the Pharisees. Because the scribes and the Pharisees messed up probably more in Jesus' eyes here than even the woman did. Because they were accusing her and they were condemning her. So when we think we have rights and justifications to get on our high horses and uh, be ready to condemn somebody, if Jesus didn't do it, then what should we do? We should give them the good news. We should tell them that Jesus saves, He heals, He sets you free, He'll deliver you from your drugs, He'll deliver you from, He'll teach you how to deal with your bad kids. Give them good news. He'll teach you how to have a good, happy marriage. Give them good things that they can live on instead of the bad things that they already know that they are. Have you ever met a sinner that didn't know that they were a sinner? Didn't know that they were messing up? Didn't know that they had done something wrong? Didn't know that drugs was wrong? Have you ever met a person that didn't know that doing adultery was wrong? Most of them know it. You don't have to remind them. You have to tell them Jesus loves you anyway. He'll clean you up. He'll turn you around. And don't preach it to them. You just have to say, you know what? We love you and God loves you. And live it before them. And when they get in trouble or when they get AIDS or when they get something from the things that they're doing, they're going to come to you because you didn't condemn them. And you're going to have an open door to be able to lead them to somebody else that won't condemn them. Stand up with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I just lift this service up to you and I just ask you if there's anyone in here tonight that's been condemned because of other people's words or been hurt because of other people's words that you yourself would encourage them now and pour in the oil and wine and mend up those hurts and fix those broken hearts like you said you would, Father. And I just ask that your grace be upon them to come clean from those things that's bothered them, whether it be Coca-Cola's or anything else that they would be addicted to, Father. I just ask you to give them the strength to do what they need to do. And Father, if they need additional help, you're there to help them. You're the grace of their life and the strength of their life. And you can help them to turn anything around that's not right in their life, anything that they're not comfortable with, Father, anything that they would be ashamed of, because it's our heart that we have confidence toward God. And Father, if we're condemned in our hearts, then we don't, even as Christians, don't have confidence toward you, Father. So if there's things in our lives, Father, that we don't do right and that we are condemned over, we just ask you to forgive us now, Father, and to show us those things and lead us into a path that would give us strength to have more faith and confidence towards you, Father. And we thank you for doing that now in Jesus' name. Just lift your hands and thank Him for changing things in your life, helping you to change things, delivering you from things that you might not want to do anymore, whether it's watch TV or or say words you don't want to say. Whatever it is, Lord, just help us to do those things and clear our hearts from anything that would condemn us and put a wall up between us and you, Father. We just ask you to strengthen that bond between us and you, Father. Thank you for doing it even now. In Jesus' name. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.